This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Angel Gonzalez, welcome back to Bridging the Gap. I am uh, I'm stoked to have you uh, back on the show, my friend. How you been? I've been great. I feel lucky. I feel fortunate, Matt. I mean, it doesn't feel like that long ago that we had our first conversation, and I guess we didn't have enough time to talk about everything we wanted to talk about. So I feel privileged to uh, to be back talking to you. Oh, it's mutual, man. I, I'm privileged that you had to, you took some time. I know y'all are doing some planning, and y'all have got some really amazing initiatives that are going on right now with hiring and. Uh, some new parts of the technology as well. So you're right. We didn't get to one of the main points. After we we finished recording, we, we kind of stopped recording and you're like, well, we never even got to AI. And I'm like, you're right. We didn't talk about AI at all. I mean, how did we let that go by with chat GPT and everything of that nature? And I was like, let's do this again and let's just focus it all on AI. And I, I think this is going to be an awesome conversation, right? I, it, we're Everybody's talking about chat GPT, but there was AI before chat GPT. And I think it'd be cool to talk about like, what did that look like? And then what does it look like with chat GPT and, and what's the future and, and learn about some of the things that y'all are doing. And, uh, and then at the end, I want to actually do chat GPT gave me some questions for this podcast. So we'll, we'll go through some of those and see how well they did and, and some of those answers. So I'm stoked about it. But I, I think to start this one off, AI is now associated with ChatGPT, but there was AI before ChatGPT came around and, and everything there. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how did you view AI before kind of this revolution uh, that GPT-4 and GPT-3 had uh, on, on the world? Sure. Well, here's, here's the way I view it. And obviously, I'm not a computer science major. I'm not an AI expert, but you probably encounter this too. There's a little bit of a misnomer. When people think AI, they normally think about artificial general intelligence and maybe even sentience. And a lot of the stuff, it's it's come in a form of different names. What was it 10 years ago? We heard big data. We were at peak big data. And everybody was talking about how you were going to be able to make the perfect decision and know everything about the market and grow your business in a rational, linear, perfect way because you had access to big data and you could run all the models. And it feels like we're in a little bit of that hype cycle again, but now we've taken the sticker of big data and put AI there. And when you hear a lot of the experts speak, they really talk more about large language models and neural networks. So do, do, first off, do you agree with that about the hype cycle and the misnomers and misunderstanding? You know, that's that's super interesting because I do. And that's one of the kind of the thoughts I have is, is like, what is going to continue this hype cycle or why is this hype cycle different than past? And, you know, your, your point about big data is a, is a super interesting point that I don't think a lot of people realize. I think that the challenge that was happening with AI and big data prior to now was it wasn't able to be utilized across everybody. Right there, like there wasn't the, the the normal everyday person, or even in our industry, like there was, it was hard to figure out how to use it. And then mm -hmm. with ChatGPT, now it's kind of universal. It can be used in a multitude of different ways. It's not just to analyze data; it's giving you answers to questions that you have. It's like it's uh, you know, it's Google on steroids and everything of that nature. And yeah. it's able to be utilized in any type of industry. And even in your personal life. So it's not just like monolithic. It's really kind of uniform across. I think that that's a, a real 
difference. And, and as you're saying, I think it's language model versus, um, you know, big data. So that, that I do see that. I, I, were you using any AI before? Like I wasn't ever really using AI. I always used AI in like marketing because it was like a cool trendy word, but mm-hmm. I, there wasn't many AI tools that we were using at that we point. We missed, we did miss one word. There was machine learning. I remember there was machine a while learning, there. And natural language processing, right? NLP and machine right. learning and then the ecosystem of how it built out. Right. Right. I've used some tools. I know there's a, there was a, what, Monkey Learn. There's some of these automation tools that would integrate with different ML platforms or have ML APIs. And going back to your point about how obviously things have evolved, the big breakthrough here, like you said, it's not monolithic, but the big breakthrough here is consumer grade interfaces that really make it accessible to your average everyday user, whether it's business or personal. And it's really that chat interface that has really changed it. Not to mention all the advancements they've made on the back end. And it's not just accessing data and breaking it up and presenting it in interesting ways. It is predicting new new forms. So you can, that's how you can create content with it now. And I, I had used some tools about five, six years ago that promised to create copy and blog posts for you. And they left a lot to be desired. It was, it was always pretty bad, but I've been really impressed with, with what's going on now. Yeah, and I want to dive into that because I, I always think about when we started Benjamin, or it was called Wella at the time, just the Wella app, you know, we were, the, the idea and the concept of a neural network was like on our minds. It was like, this would be an awesome thing to get to, but you needed so much data to build the neural network. And so you, you started it by doing kind of natural language processing. And then we got into robotic process automation, which is like, if this, then that type of technology, but we never made it to neural network. And that's what this really is, is like bringing together kind of multiple different pieces of unstructured data to then go and think on behalf of that. I'm curious from your perspective, like what is the potential impact to this? And to go to your question, like, is this just all hype and it's going to fade or, or is there something, is there something here that's going to drastically change the trajectory of business and more specifically wealth management going forward? I would say there's always going to be a mix of hype with anything that's new and powerful and disruptive. But at the core, there's stuff in here that's really important and that we're all going to be using and that we're all going to rely on. To me, I'm an early adopter. Like I jump on as many new technologies as I can, as many new apps. I I go in, I do my discovery. I went down the rabbit hole with ChatGPT back in November. And as soon as that was available for subscription to get access to GPT-4, I signed up. I'm like, all right, the 20 bucks, all right, that's a steal. I'm gonna go ahead and use that. Is there hype? Absolutely. But to me, this is that crucible moment with the way we use technology, the way we access information, and the way we go about making decisions and making advancements in our own careers and day-to-day life. And I don't know about you, but I, I get the most excited about technology when it becomes boring. And it's not boring yet. And it sounds like I'm being cheeky, but what I mean by getting excited when it gets boring is because that's when it's been very integrated into workflows. When it becomes boring, that's when your total addressable market gets a lot bigger because it's ingrained in everything 
And when it gets boring, that's when a lot of people start taking it for granted. And then a lot of opportunities come up and that's when you can get the golden age of whatever said technology is. Like you saw that with the dot-com bubble. You saw that with the way the, uh, you know, web 2.0, you know, use your term du jour. Um, yeah. I love that idea of like, let it get boring. I never even thought about it that way because when it's like all sexy and fun and you know, it's just not, it's not fully, it's not fully baked and, and the impact is really on when it becomes boring. And you know, I think what the cool thing about this evolution or revolution is in, I always use, I've been using this quote lately. I forget exact. I think it's Matt Ridley, uh, scientist said it, it's that innovation happens when multiple ideas come together and have sex. And, and that's like what is opportunity now is like all these ideas from like 2010, 2007 that like never really had legs. Now maybe you can inspire them and combine them together with what is now able to be utilized to create something really cool. Like, I don't know if the way that chat GPT is used today is the future, but the infrastructure that's built on it combined with something else is definitely in my mind, I think the future in, in that standpoint, I'm curious, how are you, let's get a little tactical is how are you using chat GPT? And then let's talk about that. And then I want to talk about how snappy Kraken is using, you know, AI, et cetera, and some of the advancements that y'all are making on that side. Yeah. I use ChatGPT every single day, multiple times a day. In areas where I would have used Google, I'm just turning to ChatGPT now. I use I use it as a thought partner, as an assistant, and I use it as an idea creation helper. So one of one of my favorite prompts is I'll rant. I'll just do a speech to text rant. And this actually came up, it was, the particular situation was I was walking to the gym, it was after hours. And I got a message over Slack from a teammate and it required a thoughtful answer. It had to do with some some customer inquiries. And I was like, oh, I wonder how I can exploit ChatGPT right now. I have 10 minutes be- before I get to the gym. What can I do right now? I opened up spe- a speech to text app on my phone and I said, hey, take the following transcript and clean it up. Remove extraneous and filler words and format it so that it is linear, organized and, and readable. And then I started to ramble. I did my rant. I, enter- I copied and pasted that text, put it into chat GPT and within four seconds, it spit out a beautifully formatted, cohesive argument, and I was able to send that off to my teammate right before walking into the gym. And here's what's great. That wasn't the AI's ideas. That was Angel's. Like I provided the prompt, I provided the seed of the idea, I provided the content, I was the thought leader in that respect, and this ended up cleaning it up it polished it at the very end. And I was like, okay, I just took this. This is when it became boring to me, right? It's like, this was part of my workflow and I just used it as a regular part of my day that I could take for granted. You know, it's, uh, I, I see, I see chat GBT as like two ends of the spectrum, right? It, it's to what you're, you're mentioning as well as like ideation. It can get you 80% of the way there. It doesn't get you a hundred percent of the way there, but it can be like your, your sidekick to help you get going on like 
how do I want to write this blog? How do I want to write this email? How do I want and it gets you there? And then you can tweak it with the last 20% is really where the gold is. It, it The 80% of getting the rough draft is, is like a waste of time. That's where it's saving. But then on the other side, it's like, I want to structure this in a way that can resonate with XYZ person or do XYZ, but it has all of your ideas. So I do that same thing, right? I use it every single day. And I think it's really cool because I continue the same threads. And so it really learns like what I'm talking about and it starts to use all those ideas and bring its own little neural network together. But like, I'll take a whole blog post and be like, Hey, here's all my ideas. Like, can we, like, I want to make this a little bit more fun, more engaging. I want to use some stories inside of it, take it and, and edit it from that standpoint. And it's still all of my ideas. Right. It's all of my content. It's just making it a little bit better. Just like I would send to a copywriter or a ghost writer or whatever it may be. And now I'm able to do it in the span of a couple minutes as opposed to wait days. That's the efficiency. I think, I think people are scared that's going to take their jobs. No, it's, it's still our brain that's still needing to help this technology work really, really well. Yeah. And it can, it can even help you analyze. Like I said, I, I rambled into it, but you can take something that you've written. You can take a whole data set and you can tell it, Hey, put this in a table for me and organize it in this way. Just a random one that I did one day, I was curious. I wanted to see like, can I break this thing? How can I push this to its limits? I opened up my fridge and I dictated all the ingredients. I'm like, hey, I got uh, I got some liquid eggs in here. I have this many ounces of cheese. I got ground beef. I have a can of asparagus. I have some Brussels sprouts. I read off all these ingredients and then I told it, make a table for me, make a meal plan for for Monday through Friday, take into account 1800 calories and tell me what kinds of meals I can make based off of what I just dictated to you. And it made me the table and it gave me a few different recipes. I also told it, I can't have a complex recipe. It just has to be something I can throw together and heat up and cook with minimal effort. And it put something together for me. Granted, it did give me one of the recipes, which is like, I think it was a half of an avocado with some protein powder. So it fell short (laughs) in that way. But before I complain, it put all that stuff together for me in seconds. And like the juice of this is in the interactivity. When you say, hey, that was great, but give me, you know, 10% extra over here reformat this in this way and and in the a little bit of that human assisted editing and that's where you squeeze a lot of a, a lot of juice from it it's the same thing that we would do with like an assistant right if we had our own personal assistant all the time and we're like hey i need to create a meal plan you know go into my fridge and do all this and it's the same thing and they won't come back with the perfect thing they'll come back with a, a recipe that you're like what the hell is that like i don't want that but but you can edit it with them by having conversation and i think that is the real cool aspect of it is the conversational side uh, from that standpoint. Now, tell me some of the things because, uh, you know, AI, we're talking about ChatGPT, but, you know, some of the new innovations are also, you know, I, I did this AI profile pic um, website. I think it was like profilepictures.ai and I put in like five or 20 headshots and it mm-hmm. came back with like hundreds of these images. Like some of them were statues and some of them were me as like Top Gun, which was a really interesting one. Some of them were very but, flattering. Um, I, I've done a the, few of those as well. <laughs> it made me look really good. It also gave me a full head of hair. What you can't see on the podcast is I got a bald spot back here and it gave me a full head of hair, like flowing hair. I was like, I mean, some people were like, that's not you, but it, it was nice. I, I showed them to I my wife. I got a stronger like, jaw. I got a much stronger <laughs> jaw in all of the images. It was great. 
my wife was like, that is not like, you cannot use that anywhere. I was like, what happens if I put it as my LinkedIn picture? She's like, no, don't do that. Um, but it was interesting. Some of them were really good. There's like probably five or 10 that were really good, but there's all this other ways of using it. Right. And we talked about idea generation and I think about like on the marketing side, like content ideas, content calendars, you know, topics, themes, headlines, uh, imagery. You can even ask ChatGPT, but there's websites that are like, hey, I want to build an image like this. Can you go build me this image? What are y'all doing? I, I, you mentioned earlier that y'all are launching a new tool. Tell me more about that because I think mm-hmm. it's super interesting of, of how technologies and, and teams are using it now to serve specific purposes in our industry to make it easier. Yeah, yeah. So at Snappy Kraken, we have enhanced our, our email capability. We created a visual drag and drop builder for email, has different blocks for body copy, headings, images, elements like that. And we've integrated it with AI. So for headings, there's a smart text feature where you can give it the most plain, the most boring sentence or topic, and then hit get suggestions And within a few seconds, it'll give you a series of suggestions that you can use for subject lines or for headings, and they're written in a compelling way. So that's just one example of that. In addition to that, we have a smart text feature where you can go into body copy and you can either rephrase what you've already written. So to my previous example before, maybe you write a long rambling email, you can hit a button and, and put summarize this for me and it'll clean it up. Or you can write in a prompt that says, hey, I don't have much time. I have an event coming up in a week. Here's the location, here are the times, here's the theme of the event. And by the way, here's the call to action. You hit smart text and you just hit expand and it'll write that for you. And I actually got an email. Uh, One of our teammates let me know that there was one of our clients, they had this situation come up. were told last minute about an event that they had to get an email out about. They didn't have much time. With just one sentence prompt, they were able to get an email that was spot on, that they were able to invite their their attendees uh, to this event. It's such a time value. And I think that that's also one of those areas, and I think we talked about it a little bit in our last podcast, but it, there's always a challenge for firms to be good at marketing. They can't, they don't think they can think of the greatest idea. And like, this is that that bridge that this is that bridge to where it's like i know i want to talk about roth conversions but i don't know how to make it sexy like here's all the data like can you make it engaging to where a 35 year old would like it and give me a good title and and people were always just afraid of it because they didn't know how to do it and now this allows you to do it in private as well so you don't have to like exp- like be like i'm an idiot i don't know how to do this and look foolish that's so incredible. That is like bridging a huge opportunity. I'm curious from your standpoint, because now you've introduced this, does it, does it water down the impact that, that, that marketing is going to have or because it's because everybody's going to be now doing it. And there was this kind of arbitrage opportunity to where I'm a really good marketer and other firms aren't. So I'll be seen more than them. What what do you, I mean, I'm just curious on what does this do in that realm from that standpoint? That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I've been thinking about the noise that's going to flood the market. Like you probably agree with this. If, Mm -hmm. If we have a proliferation of these tools, if we have a proliferation of tools that make the barrier to good content creation almost non-existent, that means the cost to create this stuff goes down. 
the barrier of entry goes down. The barrier of entry goes down, there's less friction, which means more people are gonna use this, which means more people are gonna create things and hit that publish button. I feel like things, the market is going to be flooded. And I've been thinking about what does that do? Does that create some sort of homogenous culture? In what ways are we going to have to fight to stand out more? I think this is gonna come down to content creators having to think more creatively, having to find ways to brand themselves and to differentiate themselves because now they're gonna to have to compete with a, a big flood in the market. The only, the only consolation you have is that people do look for the easiest way out. So the person who can work just a little bit harder and, and, and exploit attention just a little bit better and find a gap in the marketplace is going to win. So in essence, you know, if you zag when others zig, go ahead and do it. So I feel like you're going to have to have that eye for it and you're going to have to figure out ways to invest more in your own brand and also expand on that human connection. Because if there's mm -hmm. a lot more content out there and it is a little bit homogenous, find ways to make it more personal. You know, up until now, GPT-4 is not doing for me is 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 telling me personal stories about myself. It's not incorporating that into anything that I write or ask it to write. So I have to include those those human examples in anything that I'm creating. So that way it can it can resonate better with the intended audience. Yeah, that's so thoughtful. I mean, I, because it, it is like everything will become you know very similar, and everybody will be playing. And the, the personalization is not there. And I think that that's really in the people, everybody wants the easy button. I love that. That's what they're, they're just going to be like, ah, I just threw it in. I did it. Like I, I finally can check that thing off the, my, my task list. It's been there for 10 years. If I could add something else, there's whenever I work with GPT, I'm usually not satisfied with the, with the first draft. I want to see what else can I do here just to make it a little bit, a little bit better. I consider that first draft that it gave me, you know, in three seconds, that's a phenomenal starting point. Let me see mm -hmm. what else I can squeeze from this. What else can I add to this just to make it a little bit better? If I spend five more minutes, how much better will this be? And I count on that being me taking pains, being a little bit more disciplined than someone else who might be competing with me. Think about this. A lot of people still don't use Google to its full capabilities. I remember taking a Google course that showed me all the different search parameters that you could write in. Basically, those are prompts where you could search meta descriptions and titles and footers and search in text and exact phrase match. You tell me, Matt, how many people do you think are using all of those advanced Google parameters? Not many. Nobody. So I'm assuming the same thing's going to happen with a lot of AI. How many people are going to stop at the first prompt and not add and not tweak and just publish the first thing they get back. I mean, I'm a hundred percent believer. And I think that to that point is the exact, I think, value or opportunity is how do you add in authenticity, right? Don't take it just for, you know, face value. You, there's an opportunity to use this to get you 90% of the way and then add in authenticity that's going to differentiate you from everybody else. And if you just take it for face value, that's fine. You've got something, but you're just going to be, you're going to, you're going to be watered down, but you can now take that extra step, work a little bit harder, get above that easy button and you're going to have something. And you mentioned, you know, like the Google situation, 
I don't know anybody that does that. Like I, I don't, I, I was just looking at, you know, I didn't even know that people still use Google earth. And I was watching this video and people were showing how to use Google earth. Like the, before you play a golf course, like to look at the golf course and like that, nobody, I didn't even know everybody used that right. anymore. I was like, that's just a cool <laughs> little app to look at, but there's so many utilizations that we don't even know. We only know such a small amount of what all these tools are able to be capable of. But you mentioned prompts and, and we mentioned kind of not using Google. I'm I'm curious if you found anything to be useful to help guide you on prompts because everybody's worried about like GPT taking away from kids doing research papers and everything, but you're going to have to be really good at doing the right prompts to make this like valuable. And so, you know, I've found a few newsletters and a few kind of resources, but what, what have you found to be useful to help guide you on really valuable prompts or, or just strategies that you use on the prompts when you use GPT? There's a, there's a couple of things. So one is intention. You, you can't just lean on, Hey, make something happen for me. And that be your prompt. You have to be specific. I'd say the the more thoughtful you are, the more strategic you are, the more descriptive you are. The other thing too, is not getting too caught up in trying to get your prompt right. The first time this is a conversation and to go back to your analogy of working with an assistant, it's not like you say, Hey, assistant, go accomplish X, Y, Z. And I'm not going to have a con- uh, an additional conversation with you. I'm not going to coach you. I'm not going to edit or, or add any other details. Conversation over, go make this happen. You fail or succeed. Like, come on, don't think in the pass fail binary mentality. If you look at chat GPT and you look at the operative word there chat, that could be a back and forth conversation. So I've gotten better at prompts by actually having a conversation and also asking chat GPT for feedback after a session. I do that. I picked this up from a guy named Rob Lennon, fantastic guy to follow for content creation and everything AI. He does, it's like the meta prompt at the very end of a session, he'll ask it, hey, if I work with you again and I want to get this particular output, help me. What would be an ideal prompt that I could give you? so that we can arrive at this conclusion. And even that may not be perfect because there's still a lot of nuance that you may have throughout the conversation, but that's a fantastic way to give a prompt, have a dialogue, and then get another prompt at the very end that could help you shortcut what you're you're trying to accomplish. I love that idea. And like, and just asking, like, if you don't know what to do, just ask ChatGPT, like, hey, if you're having stuck on, like, I want to do this, but I don't know how to ask you to do it, just write that in and you'll get an answer and then oh, you yeah. try it and then you do it again. Like, it, you don't have to have all the answers. That's the beauty of it is that you can have this back and forth kind of learning session between you and this computer brain, which is odd, I know, but it, it's actually really incredible. And that's where some people can get sidetracked if they think of ChatGPT like Google on steroids. Because on Google, you ask it, you add the query, you put your search term. At the very most, it might ask you, hey, did you mean XYZ instead because you misspelled this? But with ChatGPT, you can have your, your conversation, you can tell it. I don't quite know how to approach this business plan or this decision. Can you ask me a few questions so that I can get clarity? And it'll for sure give you a set of questions that you can then answer piece by piece by piece and then arrive at a good a good output. That's incredible. Now, I mean, it, we could go on all these and we're going to ask, we're going to go through some questions that ChatGPT actually gave because I gave, I said, hey, we're talking to 
this and we're doing this type of podcast. I'll, I'll read the prompt that I, I gave uh, and it gave back some questions. From a regulatory standpoint, right? Think about it, that's like the easiest out for people to say, I can't use it. It's from a regulatory standpoint. What, how do you, how do you um, respond to that? And how, how do we as an industry ensure that we're, you know, using it appropriately and compliantly and still getting value? Um, because I think that that seems like a, uh, I think it's an easy cop out to, to not invest time into learning something new. Yeah, I think it's an easy cop out and it's absolutely understood. It's totally, totally reasonable. It's completely rational, but you got to get over that. To go back to our first conversation, we talked about catastrophizing and we talked about people like elaborate for me. You have an objection here. You say, hey, I don't think I can use AI to help me with marketing or to help me in any way, shape or form because of regulation. I don't want to get in trouble. But then it's, what do you what do you mean by that? Are you going to have it put everything for you and you're going to publish it sight unseen? Are you does is there any regulation that keeps you from generating ideas for subject lines or headlines? If you give it a prompt and you say, "Hey, I want to come up with uh, 15 creative headlines for uh, RSUs, RMDs, 401k, like give me some ideas." There's nothing stopping you from doing that. At the end of the day, you make the decision. You are the editor in chief. Give it a shot. Yeah. And I think from your standpoint, I think like the RSUs and like the 401k contribution limits and stuff like that. I think that as long as you're not putting personal information in, right? Don't put personal information in. I think that that's like, come on, that's the simple answer. Then you can use hypotheticals to get answers. And I think that what this does is create leverage to allow for what a senior advisor is doing necessarily to be passed down to a junior advisor or even a CSR to say, hey, I have a client that has, wants to do a Roth conversion. This is their income level. Like this is what their job is. This is what they have in their IRA. Like, what are what what can we do? What's the impact going to be? And you're going to get some answers. Like, I want to, and then prepare a response to an email that is, you know, that's understandable for a beginner. How do you break that down? And then send that to the senior advisor to review, and then pass it on. But that just saved the senior advisor thirty minutes of time of crafting and analyzing and everything of that nature, which is that's that's value in my mind. Yeah. And. And there's nothing against that because to your point, like, is there, is there a rule against ideation? No. Is there a rule against going to our junior advisors who don't have, you know, a CFP and asking for ideas of what do we need to do or having them run a financial plan? No, just don't put personal information into this thing. Yeah. Like don't put personal information in it. And if you are going to write either longer form content or content with a lot of details, make sure you're doing your due diligence and you're, you're reading it. I don't know if you've run into this hallucinations where you ask it to write you something and it might predict what you want to hear because it is a predictive model. So it's like, okay, what is the next set of words that should come in here? So in the earlier versions, I found that a lot when I was using chat GPT, but I know that's been getting better and better. And I know that's something that they're really working hard at, at overcoming. Yeah, I agree. All right, before we get into some of the questions from chat GPT itself, um, the, 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 the star of the show today, I'm curious, what is, what, in, if you had a crystal ball, and I know this is tough, and if it's correct, we'll pull this podcast in 10 years, and, and I'll let you take all the, all the fame, but uh, if it's incorrect, we'll, we'll bury it with everything else, um, but <laughs> what, um, what's the future with this, like, where, where are we going, what does it look like in three, five, ten 10 years, 
yeah, you know, where is it going? Well, thanks, thanks for asking me to, to make a prediction, but you're right. A lot of people are making predictions and it'll get buried if it's wrong. And if it's right, I, I should, I should just swing big, right? Go as big as you want. Yeah. Well, here, here's what's interesting. When people judge it today, it's not fixed. It's dynamic. This thing is improving. The other thing, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but I will come back. What, what interests me with new technologies is when people make predictions, they make predictions in a super linear fashion. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a movie that tries to predict the future. Let's say it's a movie from the 60s. It predicts a future that is very much like the 60s, except people are wearing more futuristic outfits and maybe the the, the Chevelle or the Bel Air can fly. You, you predict, you know, you, you give me a futuristic movie from 1988, you get back to the future too. It's very 80s nostalgia. There's just flying cars. So what I'm finding is, when people make predictions about the future and what this technology means, they just go in a very linear fashion. They say, hey, this is going to upend a lot of jobs. It's going to create and make a bunch of decisions on your behalf. But I want to know, like, what is the crazy out of left field thing that you can predict? It's almost like you just showed me the very first email ever. You told me about the Internet. I want, I want to be able to, to say, oh, wow, this is going to lead to Uber and crypto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm trying to figure out what, what I, I see this, the future of this is just it being ingrained in uh, everybody's workflow, every industry's workflow. The future of this means it's going to get really, really boring at some point because it is going to be embedded in every device, in every app that we use in order to give us better predictions, in order to give us better suggestions in order to run processes for us that we don't have to think about. I don't know if we talked about this previously, but one of my favorite quotes is from Alfred North's, North Whitehead, a mathematician. He said that civilization advances to the extent that processes can be run without you thinking about it. So when mm-hmm. I think about, when I think about Snappy Kraken and, and where we started, we started because there was a need in the market for automated marketing. And my co-founders and I got together and we were like, hey, how about we put together these marketing funnels piece by piece and we automate that, we hand that over to advisors. They don't have to think about it or put it together, it's created for them. The next stage for that is almost automating the automated strategy where you just tell the AI, hey, build me a, a prospect engagement funnel that revolves around topic X collect XYZ data. And by the way, find and look for some insights for me in my CRM software and tell me what's the next thing I should do to make the biggest impact for my prospect. So there's going to be the future of this is going to be where it becomes more of a partner and there's more engagement. I know that's not a very specific, very explicit picture, but that is the the format of where I see these things going in, where there's more engagement and there's going to be more, almost like a reverse prompt where we get prompted by these tools. Like, hey, have you considered this? Let's take a look at this aspect of your business or this aspect of this decision based off of all the data that I've been collecting. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I think that that's spot on. I don't think it needs to be like. I think to your point about we have an inability to think futuristic, right? We can only basically enhance the things that we already know. We can't think of something. We we just don't. That the human brain it's really difficult, right? That, that's why I always use the Ford example, right? If Henry Ford asked everybody what they wanted. They wanted a faster horse and they got a car. Like there was no way to think about a car. And you know, they, when you think about, oh, I have a car, like nobody could think about self-driving, but it just right. becomes you and who you are. And I, you know, I, I think that the idea of it being a prompt to, to, to us to be more of like proactive with us is, is a huge, is a huge aspect of it. I, you know, I think it's even more boring, even more boring in the sense that I, I just think that the way that we do work and, and everybody's going to laugh at me and, and say that you're, you're crazy. It's always been that way. But the way that we do work, when we look back from 10 years from now and we look backwards, is just going to be drastically different. Right? It, it, this is going to, I think this revolutionizes the way that we, we do work and what our, our, our work and, and looks like. And I think, you know, I look back to when my dad started our firm 27 years ago. His job, what he did 27 years ago, is drastically different than what we're doing. And we just come to accept it because it's like this gradual transformation, like over time. So we just right. accept it, accept it. And, and it's not just going to be this like one moment in time. We're like, all right, everybody's doing work differently. It's just like, you're just going to, you're going to find small things. And I think that this is one of those uh, revolutions or evolutions or whatever you want to call. And that's going to change the way that we do work, just like the internet did. And just like email did, it's going to be a very similar way. And not just that, but a lot of innovation, a lot of evolution comes as a direct result of obstacles. So if you want to get really good at predicting how something is going to evolve, you should take a look at coming up with ideas for what kinds of obstacles, what kinds of friction are going to come up because that directly influences how things improve, how they innovate. You look at the industrial revolution, you look at the titans of industry with railroads and the and oil and pipelines, and you see that a lot of that came about as a workaround because there was an obstacle that got in the way. No one planned that stuff in a vacuum. They had a goal, yep. they confronted a challenge, or you know, sometimes violently, these challenges came up uh, against them and they had to figure out what they had to figure out in order to win. And I feel like the same thing is gonna happen with this technology or whatever technology comes after it. It's, hey, we hit this roadblock. What do we do now? Hey, there's this yep. other byproduct or there's other consequence. And there are gonna be drawbacks. There's gonna be, there's pros and cons to every new technology. So. To me, this is the, to go back to Matt Ridley, you know, the rational optimist, it, it's all about being optimistic and seeing what you can do with the hand that you've been dealt. Yeah. And, and, I've, and I forget who told me the quote, it may have been you that told me the quote about the innovation side of, of multiple ideas coming together and having sex is how innovation is, uh, it occurs. But, you know, I, I just think that the way that you think it's going to be in the future is not the way that it will be. Uh, we've learned that time and time again, just like everybody thinks that the, the next economic crisis is not going to be the same like the last economic crisis. It's something right. different that's going to spur it. So. Uh, it's going to be super interesting, but I think it is going to be impactful. And so, but the last two questions, I'm going to take two of these. I have like six questions from ChatGPT. It gave me 15. I didn't ask for 15. Nice. It just gave me 15. But you know what I basically said, and I just did this. I didn't even do the back and forth because I did it just real quick. It took me literally, this took a minute 
two minutes. And I basically just told, I told the prompt, hey, I'm hosting a podcast for wealth management professionals. Uh, I have a guest who's a co-founder of a marketing company that serves wealth management professionals, helping with content creation, lead acquisition, etc. cetera. Uh, our conversation today is all around AI and ChatGPT. Give me some questions. I want to make it engaging, actionable, et cetera. And so here's some of the better ones that came out of it. And I'm going to choose two of them. Okay. In terms of AI implementation, what's one piece of advice you'd give to wealth management professionals who might be hesitant? It's a pretty good one. It's a pretty yeah. good one. What's one what piece you say of advice that? I would give? To wealth management professionals who might be hesitant. I mean, the first piece of advice, if they're hesitant and they're not doing anything with it at all and just looking at headlines and talking to people and saying, oh, yeah, I don't know about this AI thing, man, we're all screwed. My first recommendation would be, why don't you give it a try? There's a lot of free software out there. You're not putting PII in there. You're not putting personally identifiable information in there. You don't even have to use it for business. Just ask it a simple question. If you're curious, just say, Give me some ideas about X topic. I want to generate 10 headlines. Or to go to my previous prompt example, you tell it, here's a transcript, clean it up for extraneous and filler words and format it so it's readable and just see what it can do. Yep. Then you'll be blown away. That's I love that. Just give it a shot. Give it a shot. It's free. It's free. And you can just see what it looks like. Do you, before you go on to the next question, do you have any, I mean, there's so many different models, so many, you know, there's Google Bard, there's Bing's, there's ChatGPT, there's all these different phone apps. There's one called Poe, there's Perplexity, there's Pi. If you've ever used Pi, Pi is a very conversational one. It's not really good for creating content or doing actual work, it kind of wants to be your friend. So like, it, <laughs> and it passes the Turing test. I remember what, 15 years ago, jumping on a little chat bot and it was really obvious that it was just pre-programmed. This is, is getting really good. It's lonely being, it's lonely being an algorithm. <laughs> right. There you go. They, they want friends. They want, it had to you know, I've, I've, I, I've fallen, I mean, I, I fell in love with G, uh, ChatGPT because of the simplicity of it. I tried Bard, I tried Bings, and it's just like the interface is so simple. And um, now that with the app makes it like just super interconnected and from that standpoint, uh, but all of these, I, I, you just go and look. I mean, I there's two newsletters that I get. AI Prompts is a daily um, one that brings all about what's going on in the industry and it's got new tools and then superhuman is another one um mm -hmm. that that comes through and it gives you know new different tools there's so many different ai tools from you know ai tools to help you with meeting transcripts and new notes and everything of that nature to just regular traditional chat gpt and that such but i mean there's so many and they're all free to start with right. usually i mean they, they I, I we use it for this podcast as well so I, I agree. Just go and just give it a shot. Just take 30 minutes and just give it a shot and see what you think. I mean, one, one, easy, one easy gateway prompt is copy and paste a confusing, cumbersome paragraph, whether it's from a news site or just a random message and paste that in. And at the very end, just put TL semicolon DR and it will simplify it for a fifth grader. It will give you the gist of whatever you just pasted in. That's a that's a good way to, to just test it out. The other cool thing to do is take a link of an article that you, you may wanna read, but you don't have time to, and just say, hey, give me the summary of this. Give me three bullet point takeaways of this article, and it will give you three bullet point takeaways of that article. And it's right. incredible. And, and so, you know, just 
play around with it. it it's it's interesting. All right, last question, uh, sure. because the other ones we kind of answered, right? Uh, in a profession where human interaction and trust is crucial, how do you balance the use of AI with the need of personal trust? We did that one. But here's an interesting one. How does AI and GPT-4 specifically contribute to the competitive advantage of a company? That's an interesting one. And the reason I think so is because we talked about how it could be watering down. But I, I, yeah, I'll leave that one for you. I have an answer. Yeah. I have a thought, but I want you to go first. I, I want to, I got to give yeah. the guest the option to go first. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. How does it contribute to the competitive advantage of the business? So it can be used, as I said before, as a thought partner, as a collaborator. You can have a conversation with it and say, hey, here's what I think our moat is. Here's what I, I think our competitive advantage is. Challenge me on it. And here's, here's why I even say this, because a lot of people think they have a competitive advantage or a differentiator, and their differentiator could be lifted, copied, and pasted from everybody else that they're comparing themselves to. So you could enter in what you believe your competitors' competitive advantage is and their differentiators are and ask it, hey, are we too similar? Are we different? What are some ways I could compete? So I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say here is competitive advantage is not going to be grabbed externally. It's going to have to start with you. It's going to have to be thought about at a deep level, at an intentional level. And then you can use these external tools to find ways to amplify it or to challenge it to really see if it passes the a litmus test on what you think your competitive advantage is. Yeah, I, I think that there's it, the tool doesn't solve root problems that are not resolved inside of your organization already, right? It doesn't right. Resolve, make, make me interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it can't make you more interesting. It can't it can't make you have not have people problems or better like it, you've got to you it like it, it can't if you don't have a good process it, it can't really do that for you. You have to have some implementation there. But what it can do is the competitive advantage is that it gives you another skill that you can learn and be better at than others and and utilize and create efficiencies. I think that the biggest advantage that it gives is that the efficiencies, because really what differentiates firms uh, is not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily the, the, the investment management or whatnot. It's the people, it's the relationship. And so I think what this allows for is creates an opportunity for you to do more of that and, and communicate your authenticity in a different, more robust way. And I think that that really gives you the competitive advantage. And, you know, I'll tell you this, the better you are at it and the more earlier you start at it, the better separation or the more separation you will have from the competition over the next three, five, 10 years. And I think that's where it's at. Beautifully said here. What I heard, one of the things that stood out to me in, in your response had to do with AI contributing to the competitive advantage of a business by the business being able to offload the things which are not its competitive advantage to the technology to help accelerate and take care of and basically take care of the delegation of that stuff while they focus on the humanity, on the branding and, and all the, the empathetic soft skill aspects of, of the business, which are you scared at all that it's going to replace anybody because I'm, I'm, or, you know, like replace all of us or make it to where businesses are obsolete. Not one bit, not one bit. It doesn't scare me. I don't know. That's just me. I think that there's, I, I, I think it makes us better. I don't, I don't see it replacing us because I, I don't, I don't see that. 
I mean, everybody's like the Terminator example. Maybe. Right. Maybe. But I don't know. I don't think so. No. Do you? Right. I don't know. There's aspects where I know, yeah, there's going to be drawbacks. There's going to be some, a lot of changes. But to think that it's going to replace everything or make everything obsolete is, is too much of a linear extrapolation. Again, it's way too rational, way too linear of an extrapolation. And what I mean by that, it's, it's almost like cheap, cheap handbags. Why haven't they put brand name handbags out of business? There are still $15,000 you know, co- commodities, right? That are sold because there's a brand and story attached to it. And in a world where there's commodities and where where there are things that can be taken for granted or, or low priced and you know very razor thin margins, there's always room for people to feel better about themselves. There's always room for people to attach themselves to a story that aligns with their values, so they can have peace of mind, so they can feel better about their status or or, or their state in the world. I, I think there's always room for that, and I know that's that could be a topic for a completely different podcast but but i think there's still I, a lot of room i uh, i agree with you there's always going to be downsides to technology there's not it's just not it's not one side or the other there's always a pro and a con um and you hope the pros outweigh the cons over time and right. i think that this will but um i think you're spot on man uh, you know this conversation was super fun i uh this is a little bit different than how we usually do a podcast on bridging the gap but Heck yeah, this was well worth it. Your insight was incredible. Um, and, and I love what y'all are doing at, at Snappy. And um, it, just remind people how to get in touch with y'all and to be able to kind of learn about some of the AI tools that y'all are putting together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I guess we should leave a disclaimer here that we are, we were both real. So this was not done by AI. <laughs> I have heard a few AI podcasts where there wasn't quite the right, they tried to trick me. There, was the, there wasn't the right inflection in the voice. And I was like, wait a minute. Then they revealed at the end of the episode that it was all AI generated. But this is, this is really Angel and this is really Matt speaking. But yeah, if, you, if for anyone that's listening that would love to learn more about Snappy Kraken, there's snappycracken.com. And we also have a, a special url for your listeners if they really want to learn more about our ai technology and how it can help advisors uh, grow their business it's snappycracking.com forward slash bridging dash the dash gap that's incredible and we'll put that in the show notes as well go go check it out and uh again angel i'm i'm grateful for the friendship and uh, all you're doing and uh and for taking time out of your day to, to spend it here to talk some ai yeah. and have some fun here so my pleasure so thank much, you man. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 